It's April 6, 2019, and this is episode three of It Started in Hendricksville, stories by Jerry Abram. All right, well, good morning, Dad. How are you today? Fine, everything's going okay. Good. Well, we have got, last week it was pouring the rain, but today it's quite nice out so Very that's good day. mom how are you today fine good good <laughs> glad you're here and uh, we got a good story from you last week so that was nice um, so dad today uh, I want to talk a little bit about your dad and kind of his job history um, so I know a little bit about what he did but um, just kind of as a reminder you know, I didn't know him very well. Um, I, in fact, I started thinking the other day, there are two time, two things I remember, and you remember both of these, but, but one I remember sitting on his lap at his house, and he had come out of the hospital. So he had had, I think, a heart attack and had come, come back, and, and we went down to visit him, and I remember sitting on his lap. But the other thing I remember is I remember, I think I remember him leading songs at Liberty. Um, In fact, it's like I can kind of see him, you know, because I remember he used his arm to to keep time, Mm -hmm. and we did that. So so anyway, so why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of as far back as you know, um, just jobs and things he did and kind of how he made money and how his life worked. Well, all I had to go by was what I heard, of course, before I was old enough to remember uh-huh. all of it. But uh, Dad, uh, he was a hard-working man, always was. And uh, he worked in a sawmill there at Hendricksville. Actually, didn't work in the mill as much as he hauled logs into the mill. They would send the people out to cut. Okay. He would take, he had a Model A Ford truck with a what they called a bolster. It was like a semi. It had another set of wheels behind it with uh, cross pieces on it that you rolled the logs up on. Yep. And he would go to the woods and they would bring those logs out to where he could get the truck in there and then they would load those logs. They would run them up a skid onto the truck with the horses and chains. Yeah. And uh, then Dad would load the load and bring it into the mill and uh, drop it off. So did they, back then, would they have had chain, uh, uh, I mean, gasoline chainsaws to cut with at that point? No, no, no. So, no. so, so they were cutting these trees with, a, what, a two-man cross? Two-man cross cuts, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, there was never heard of a chainsaw at that time. Okay. Well, I can remember when chainsaws really first come in to mount anything. Okay. So this truck, did it belong to your dad? No, it belonged to the sawmill. Okay, all right. The guy that owned the sawmill. And then your dad just drove it for no, him and, and did that. And, and so when he was with the sawmill, as far as you know, that was his full-time job yeah. at that point. He got a dollar and a half a day. Oh, my gosh. A dollar fifty a day. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. What Now, was that, just to kind of calibrate, would that have been a good-paying job, kind of a normal-paying job, or...? Very medium to low. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. But, uh, and, but, but that was all, but as far as that was before you were born, you don't remember any of that. No, that was before my time. Okay. Because, um, and at that time they lived in that little, it was a little garage that they lived in right there by the sawmill. And okay. that's where Wilma was born. 
the okay. one just older than me. So, so would this have been before he built the log cabin you were born in? Oh, yes, yes. So, so one, I wanted to ask you about that log cabin. Were log cabin? You think was a was a log cabin like nowadays? If someone builds a log cabin, it's a novelty. You build one to look old fashioned and that kind of stuff. Were did he do that because he wanted a log cabin, or was that just the normal? That was just the normal way to get a roof over your head. Yeah. So so he so when he lived, just to calibrate me a little bit, it would have been across the road from where the log cabin was built. Was where the sawmill was somewhere along in there. No, it was on the same side of the road. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, when you went down and uh, past the house, you know where it's at yet today. Where the log cabin is? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I know where that is. Then turn left, cross the bridge. Yeah. Just as soon as you cross the bridge, the sawmill was right down over the bank there, between the road and the creek, right in there. Well, okay, all right, so that was where it was at. And, then, and he, at that time, lived in a house right there, close yeah, to that. Yeah, just up past the sawmill, first little building. Okay. And All right. I built it for a garage, and I don't know whether it was just to work on vehicles or what it was. Okay. There wasn't hardly any vehicles, but uh, anyway, it was a roof over their head, and they, okay. Dad and Mom lived in that. And uh, when Wilma was born there on 22nd of January, and I can't remember what year, uh, would have been probably 34, maybe, yeah. 1934. And uh, the night that she was born, it was so cold in that little cabin, or that garage was so cold. They kept her in bed between mom and dad, uh -huh. and dad froze one of his ears in bed that night. It was so cold in the wow, house, sir. actually, and had that ear all swelled up when they were trying to take care of that baby. Huh. But uh, it was, you know, they, they had it rough. Wasn't easy, yeah. It was not easy. Yeah, and, and that makes me think, we're going to come back to his jobs here in a second, but I missed this. When we talked about your birth in the uh, log cabin, um, there's a story about uh, about you not being a normal-sized kid. Mm. So, <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. K handled all of us kids' births. Okay. Out of Spencer. Oh, okay. And when I was born, they had, he brought his scales and stuff with him, and I weighed 12 pounds. Well, he said that was so unusual, and even put a little article in the uh, Indianapolis Star that this, in Greene County, this baby was born, a 12-pound baby. Oh, wow. So, uh, I've gained a little weight since <laughs> Okay, so let's get back to your dad. So he had the lumber mill job, and then do you know what happened next? Okay, from there, I'm pretty sure from the lumber mill, he went to the Holy Quarry, and uh, they cut stone in the quarry. Of course, he helped drive the wedges to split the big blocks out. And, Where's that at? Uh, the one that he worked at was... Uh, on the hill over there, Stouts Creek Hill, between Bloomington and Ellettsville. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see, well, I'm trying to think, for people listening here, I mean, I know where Stouts Creek Hill is. Um, it's old Highway 46 between Bloomington and and Ellettsville, because yeah. now they've run, they've moved that highway over, but I can't think of anything else that's really close by there. But anyways, yeah, you have to you look it up and find out. Just so. a stone Okay, there. all right. But anyhow, he worked there for quite a long time. And then I'm pretty sure he went from there to the Shower Factory, came in, and it was a new factory. 
and uh, at the Showers factory, uh, he built crates to crate the furniture in that they built. See, they built furniture. And and that's the Showers buildings that have the, the sawtooth-shaped roof mm -hmm. that's now where the farmer's market is and all that stuff mm -hmm. there in Bloomington. So he worked right in there. Right there. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, was working there when I was born. Okay. He was working at the Showers factory when I was born. Okay. And... Uh, that was a little better job than what he had had, but uh, buck seventy five a day. <laughs> probably, no, probably maybe even two dollars. Okay, I got up to that. But anyway, uh, it was all the whole thing was just a hard life for them because there was three girls born before me, so they had all three of oh, those yeah. girls, and okay. me then as a new baby and. Uh, then it was eight years before they had the last two okay. of my siblings. And, uh, but uh, from Shower's factory, I forget. I'm not sure where he went from there. I believe he went straight from Shower's to Pulapep Automotive. Okay, that's what I've heard about. Okay, And started selling auto parts on the road, and he done that through all the way through World War II. Oh, really? When uh, you couldn't buy a new car, the auto parts business was big <laughs> because you had to keep repairing whatever you had or you didn't have transportation. You couldn't buy a vehicle, you know, during the war. So so that would have been a around 1941 is when the U.S. really got into the war. Right. Um, and then they were in the war for four or five years yeah. there. So would have been up to about uh, from probably 41, maybe late 41. That was, of course, in late 41 when the war started. And uh, would have been from there up to, I think, probably up to 48, 1948. Okay. A lot of Okay. And so there's a interesting story about him selling some kind of fan that you would put maybe on the dash of your car or something, and you were playing with it as you were going down the road someday. Yeah. So remind me of that story. So Well, it was a little fan that they had built. To run off of six volts because your vehicles were all six volts then, so okay. 12. And uh, you could uh, wire this little fan up, had a switch of its own on it, and uh, didn't have defrosters on them old cars, but you'd turn oh. this fan on, and when it was warm enough in the, well, the compartment you sat in, yeah. if it was warm enough, pushing that air up on the windshield would keep your windshield clear enough so you could see the drive. Okay. So... He, uh, one of those had gone bad and uh, they'd replaced it and he just took the cord off of it and just had the fan. Well, these little rubber blades on this fan, there was three blades on them, had a, a lot of curve in them so they'd move a lot of air. Well, when you're driving down the road with the window down, I could stick that fan out and the air that you was running into uh -huh. know, would spin that fan. And so I was spinning it one day and Dad said, well, we'll just wind that up good. So this old Chevrolet we had, he started pouring it on. That thing just went faster and faster. <laughs> and directly, it just went boom. And those blades come off of that. One of them come in the car and one of them hit me. <laughs> the other two may have not come down yet. I don't know where they went. Oh, uh, yeah, I bet your dad enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, he loved it. But, uh, but they were rubber blades. They was not... Uh, metal you know that would cut you 
But yeah, so they yeah, didn't hurt. Didn't hurt anything. So somewhere in here, you guys also did. You talked one time earlier about the uh, hauling um, coal. Was that a full time job for your dad, or was that just something he did on the side? No, it's full time job. Um, after he got through his Fullapep job. Oh, okay. So that was after Fullapep. Okay. Yeah, it went downhill pretty bad after the war was over. Okay. And they started making new cars, and everybody bought new cars, and just wouldn't work on them anymore. A lot of them, they just worked on them, but there's nothing left of them, you know. Right. So they just junked them and uh, get a new car. So that was a big change there for that. And Dad uh, didn't, uh, he just didn't have anywhere really to go. There was nothing hardly to do at that time. So we, where we lived when we moved over to Granddad's old place, we had some wooded area in there, really, Pretty nice uh, trees. So Dad and I, so I was uh, 11 years old when we moved over there. Okay. So Dad and I started cutting that woods out with a cross-cut saws. And we would drop oh, those didn't... trees and cut the logs out of them. So, so you two did that. You you yeah. would run one into the saw and he ran the other and drop the tree. And so. And uh, we'd get those trees down cut the log out of them. Then my Uncle Kenneth had a team of horses and he'd bring them over to our barn and leave them there to log with. And we'd drag those logs out to where we could get a truck to them. Uh -huh. And then we'd roll those logs up on that truck. And then while Dad had the horses bringing more logs out of the woods, I'd take that truck and take it to Salisbury to Old Sullivan's Sawmill. Those guys down there would unload me to keep me from getting hurt because I was 12 years old driving that log truck. Oh my gosh. How many logs would you could I mean it wasn't a real heavy duty truck. I wouldn't no, think you could it was haul a single axle. Uh -huh. It did have a two speed axle in it and just an old six cylinder uh -huh. engine. But uh, it it was called a ton and a half truck is the okay. way they rated them then. But uh, we could get uh, medium sized logs, you'd put four on the bottom and three on top of that in the edge. Oh, okay, and that's quite a bit. And then one, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, I'm talking about medium-sized logs. Now, how did you guys negotiate price? Did did your dad go over and talk to him about all that, or did you, it just, there was, was just, just a, a set price. They just the, had a set price for, for whatever. Yeah. So you'd bring it and drop it, and then they would they pay would you measure, or go pay your dad later or something? Well, they and, would measure it, then they'd write him a check for whatever the logs were worth. And, oh. But, uh, Yeah, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, so, so just... To calibrate people, so that's about from from your place to that sawmill, what ten miles? Yeah, about ten. Yeah, so twelve years old driving a log truck yeah. with a four speed transmission with a split rear axle. Yeah, ten miles and and unloading it and coming home. Yeah, uh, that one big hill, the gray hill down yeah. there, was steep. That's a it dangerous was hill. <laughs> so rather than take a chance of missing a gear, if I had. Anything that went wrong going up the hill, the brakes would not have held it. This had old vacuum hydraulic brakes. So I had to stop at the bottom of the hill, put it in low axle, then the lowest gear I had. Yeah. And then I'd just set my foot on the floorboard and just ride and guide. Look out the top of the hill, hoping it'd take me up there, and it always did. Never did lose it. Did, were you short enough? I mean, could you just sit on the seat like anybody else would, or you, were you so short you had to like almost... Put yourself up on a... I sat up on the front of the seat with a cushion behind me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a big pillow up, up behind me so I could push on the brakes. 
Oh, that's but, funny. So, so then, so you got the truck to haul wood, haul lumber, and then later on, you also started hauling coal. Well, it sounds like haul anything. See, we done this lumber work in the summertime, and then come wintertime to burn coal. He had sideboards that he put on this flatbed truck, and then would start hauling coal out oh, of Pickle, okay. Indiana. Okay. And uh, we'd haul coal all winter, and then come spring we'd go, and then we even got to hauling. Uh, veneer logs for Wayne Abram who oh, really? owned the sawmill uh-huh. and also bought a lot of timber everywhere and all of his walnut and white oak logs that was gone for veneer we would take that same old truck and dad always drove I mean I didn't drive it then but uh, we would load those logs and haul them to Edinburgh over north of Columbus they was a veneer mill really <laughs> huh but, over to Edinburgh that's a, that's a pretty long drive mm-hmm. so yeah yeah Interesting. Long haul, and that was on the old road before the new road was built between Nashville and Columbus. Right. Well, well did you kind of go up and go across 144, or, or you did go across 46, but it was just the old 46, just that, that was a real curvy. Yeah, it was the old, old 46 okay. road. Okay. Uh, I think now the signs on it, every, every yeah, you can see it. this road mm-hmm. says the old Nashville road. Or yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Old Nashville road or old Nashville 46 or something like that. So, Okay. So what about job-wise? Um, did your dad have any more jobs, or was that kind of the end of the jobs for him? Well, no. He, we run that truck until uh, we wore it out two or three times and had an engine overhauled in it. And, um, they would take it down and put in new pistons and rings and mm-hmm. new rod bearings and start over. Yeah. Uh, we had that uh, until, I forget what year it was, but anyhow, when the trucking business stopped, he went to work for the Bloomington Packing Company. Oh yeah, I had that on here. Okay. All right. So that's when he went to the the, the packing house, which was right next to what's now I sixty nine, but used to be high, Highway thirty seven. I remember when I was a little kid that that building was there. I don't know if it still was a packing house when I was little, but the state police post is right there. Yeah, that's right. The state police is there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, so and he just see, he of course from what you said he he uh, well he actually I haven't said it earlier but but he knew a lot about meat cutting oh, yeah. so. Yeah. And even I went to work there then. Oh, I didn't when know I was that. Still in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, so so okay, so tell me, so so were you both working at the same time? I worked nights. Okay. He worked days. Oh yeah. my goodness! So you were going to high school through the day, and then going there and working nights. I'd go to the packing house and start at uh, 4.30 in the evening uh-huh. and work till 6 the next morning. Oh my gosh. And then we was loading trucks. I worked in the loading department, uh-huh. loading all the trucks that went out the next day to the grocery stores. And okay. Okay, so they, they would do the meat through the day and then at night you packed the trucks up. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. funny to me that, that back then they were running that operation 24 hours a day. You wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought well, so. But. A lot of times uh, we would get off early and then I, sometimes we'd have the trucks all loaded out by 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, I had a little bit of time to get two or three hours sleep was all I was getting and then going to high school in the daytime and I stayed on that until it just about got me. Oh, I bet. Yeah, wear you down. Well, so. I went from, when I started working in there, <clears throat> weighed 142 pounds, and I went back, back down to under 100 pounds. 
just because we didn't. And you were almost six feet tall probably at that point. I was. You you were six feet tall and you were under 100 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but, uh, well, you had to carry those quarters of that beef. Yeah. Carry it from the hangers where they had it hung and rolled out there on those hangers. Then you pick them off of there and take them in the truck and hang them. And I assume back then, um, which is something for the younger kids to know, you were doing that because you had to help take care of your family. Yeah, yeah I you, was the only breadwinner you know. at that time. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, it was just too much yeah. to do that. And then once, finally, when it got to the point where I got out of school, then uh, Ted Chitwood hired me at the hardware store. Oh, okay. All right. So, but uh, and at that time, Dad... Uh, now, was that... Were Ted and Virginia together at that point? Oh yeah. Okay, so yeah, so so that was the connection to Ted was through Virginia. But then so, when Dad quit the packing house when he got sick mm-hmm. and had to quit, when he quit there, then he went to Indiana University and was a custodian out there. Okay, that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he did work there for a while yeah. too then. And enough to get him a little bit of retirement. Well, so, uh, that was the best job he'd ever had, and Re helped get that put through. Because she knew some people. No kidding. The right people, yeah. So you guys were, at that point, were you dating or married? We were married. So you were married and mom had some contacts and helped get him that job there. Well, sir, mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? I'd never heard that. Well, it was a, a well-remembered life. So many things that yeah. you don't forget. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm sure I forgot some of the stuff. But that, oh, that's in true. general, that pretty well takes you through that era. So... Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears now because uh, I want to stick with with stuff with your dad, and now I want to talk about just living back then. So, tell us a little bit about um, uh, ice boxes and and getting ice for ice boxes and that whole. Well, uh, in my era, they had an ice man that came through and hauled ice. Okay. But before that, my grandfather. They had horses and wagons, and all the guys would get together in the very worst part of the winter and go to this pond, a body of water there close to where we lived, with saws, and they'd saw out blocks out of that ice, loaded on those wagons. Then another guy would go to the sawmill and get a wagon load of sawdust, and they'd choose wherever they was going to put this for all of these families. And they'd stack a layer of ice, then cover that with a layer of sawdust. Pretty deep. Then they'd lay another layer of ice on top of that and go back and cover that with sawdust. So they would build that ice up in this house, insulated with sawdust, and it would pretty well last most of the summer. Well, sir. And then people had ice boxes at home, and so then you'd, you'd go get a piece of ice and bring it home. Yeah, and You'd cut off a piece of whatever you could get in. You know, the compartment was a certain size on right. those ice boxes. Right. So you had to cut a piece of ice that would go in there. You didn't want to waste any of it, you know. So they would go cut off the block that would fit their freezer. Not freezer, but ice box. So you, you mentioned the packing house, and so I want to ask you a little bit about, it sounds like your dad knew a lot about meat cutting and that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about cutting his own meat and helping other people and what all happened there. So, Well, at that time, of course, nobody had any money. 
and very few people had cattle, but most all of the farmers and everybody in that area raised hogs. So in the winter time, you had to butcher these hogs in the winter when the so, weather was So cold. why hogs rather than cattle? Do you have, what, what drove that or? Well, no, I can't really tell you why. Huh, but, but that's uh, what was popular. That's so. what was okay. popular. They raised these hogs from, they'd get a big uh, sow, and mm -hmm. when she had pigs, sometimes they'd have 12 to 13 piglets, and then you'd raise those and then butcher them for meat. Mm -hmm. And when they butchered, they would all gather and they had big iron kettles that they would hang on a piece of pipe that went out across an area where you could build a fire under them. Okay. <clears throat> You put your fire under these kettles, bring this water, you carry it from the pond or anywhere you could get water, and dump in those kettles, fill them up, and then get them boiling, and then out of that you would dump this water, well, bucket it into a barrel under a tree, and this tree had to have a big limb on it. You run a rope up through a pulley, and you'd haul these hogs in here once they had been shot, and then they would stick them, what they call stick them, and let them bleed out. And then they would take them there and hook them onto this pulley, pick them up in the air, and then swing them out over this barrel and let them down in this scalding water. Oh, so it's a big enough barrel you could put a pig inside yeah, it. So you're talking a big barrel. Yeah, so. it's big enough to put a, a hog in, yeah. And they'd take it up and down two or three times. And each time they come up with it, they'd pick and pull, see if the hair was loose yet. Just as soon as it got loose, then you'd let it, whatever you hauled it in there on, you'd let it back on that and take it over to a big table and four or five guys would have these big scrapers. And they'd scrape, take all this hair off of them, clean them up real good, and then they'd dip hot water and rinse everything off. And when you hung them up after they were scraped, they were snow white, I mean, really good huh. clean and all that. And then dad would take the insides out of them. Mm -hmm. And wherever we met to butcher, you know, we'd butcher for, we'd go to this one house, we'd butcher for them and maybe two of their neighbors one day. And uh -huh. then we'd go somewhere else to another house and butcher for them and maybe two of their neighbors. And the women all got together to fix a big meal when this happened. They'd all cook at whatever house this was. And uh, we'd always try to have the hogs hung and opened up by noon, you know, scraped and ready by noon, and then women would fix a big, uh, great big meal. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the meal was ready, they'd come out and say dinner was ready, and Dad turn around and say, Jerry, now you stay out here and keep the dogs away from these hogs, and we'll go eat. <laughs> so, so, I was about 14 years old before I knew there was anything to a chicken but a neck. <laughs> You were getting the leftovers, huh? <laughs> that was all I got, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, then it, they would cool out enough, this meat would, to start to get a little bit solid. Uh huh. Then they would lay them back out on these cleaning tables. They'd clean it off real nice, lay them up there. And then Dad would cut the tenderloins out, and they'd cut the hams off of them and take the bacon off of the sides. Okay. And then these women, all of the fat that they cut off of this, <clears throat> these women would go back in the house at the table in there with these big pieces of fat, whatever it was. Then they would all set with boards and cut those into 
about inch squares. Okay. All of the fat. And then the next day, you'd take a big load of this down to Aunt Vivian's wash house. Okay. And, and, and that was in Hendricksville again. Yeah. That was right downtown Hendricksville. Yeah. Okay. And uh, they had, uh, I, I never had seen another one. That's the only one I ever seen, but they had what they called a, a wash uh, tub to heat wash water. But what it was, okay. it was a unit with a huge big cast iron tub over a stove. And it was all made into one unit. Okay. So what you done was build a wood fire under this big tub and fill it with lard. And the, the little pieces of fat. Yeah, uh -huh. little pieces of fat. And uh, I mean, pour big lard cans full in there. And as soon as this started cooking, just as soon as it started to get hot enough, you know, you could hear it start to frying, it'd start frying that grease out of that. And then wouldn't be long, it was floating. Okay. In the grease. So, so basically you've got the fat and some water and it's... Well, actually just put the plain fat. Oh, just the fats in there. Okay. So, so then you've got the, you've got liquid grease on the bottom and then more solid stuff up on top. Is well, that what you're saying? Well, fat kept floating. So. Okay. So it would keep floating, and Dad would start cooking that, and it would even start to brown, the fat would. And he would uh, keep that, keep stirring it, make sure it didn't burn anywhere. He'd stay right there with it. And they would cook that until the steam quit coming off of it. Okay. When the steam quit coming off of it, then the water was content gone. was all out of it. Yeah. Solid lard. Then uh, <clears throat> he had a press there. <coughs> set up on a table where you could put 50 pound lard cans they call them underneath that press and they'd either buy new ones or they would just make sure that the ones they used last year was clean you know you put them under that press and then you start pouring this out of this into that press cracklings yeah and you know the lard pieces and the grease and all that and the grease of course would go through the filter on the bottom of that and into the can just as clean and pure as anything could be. And then you, when that filled up with those pieces of fat, which we call cracklings, you put a press unit on this and tighten it down and you pushed all the grease out of them. Then you came out of there with a cake the size mm -hmm. of this press right. of cracklings. And just take that out and then you fill it up again, just keep pressing it till however much lard you cook was all in there and in the cans. So the, and then it solidified, I assume, after you set it in the can for a while, or did it stay liquid? No, it's, it no, it got hard. Yeah, see, that's what I thought yeah, with lard. It, it, it gets it hard. Set up, and Dad always rendered for oh, people everywhere on that. Now, did you do th this cake? This the the cracklings. Uh, what'd you do with that? Okay, a lot of people wanted it to feed to their dogs. Oh, Everybody that's had funny. Dogs, big dogs, uh -huh. coon dogs, and stuff. And a lot of people ate those. They were good. You ate the cracklings, and they would tear them apart and get them tore into actually regular little individual pieces. And they'd put them in cornbread, crackling cornbread. Huh. And Interesting. It was good. <laughs> it really was. And of course, everything that they fixed through all of this was absolutely high cholesterol. Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't have cholesterol back then. Yeah. <laughs> if they had, mom would have fried it, so. <laughs> 
Well, Dad, we're at about 31 minutes, and so we're going to next time, we're going to talk about smoking meat and butchering and a grinder that your dad fixed up and uh, then a story about rats. So we'll, okay. we'll, we'll catch that next time. Okay. So that's it for today.